following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Tom did a marvelous job of leading us through the, the, uh, the washing of the disciples' feet last week. And in that particular text, there are a couple of pieces that we have to revisit in order to, to remain in the context of the passage we're looking at today. As was mentioned, um, we're, we're literally, the last, verse 30 says, and it was night when Judas went out to, to, uh, to orchestrate his betrayal. Now, let's keep in mind that Jesus expires at three o'clock, the ninth hour on Friday of Passover. So like Tom mentioned, chapter 13 to halfway through chapter 27, almost in a half chapters, we're, we're in less than 24 hours. Things get really, really detailed here. And the beauty of being in the Gospel of John is that we get nuance we get detail from the one Jesus loved. And that's a declaration from the author himself under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit declaring that this Jesus loves me and I know it. And it, this is why he's the, he's the I am instrument. That's, this is why he's the one that's, that says over and over and over again. You know, up until chapter 12, love's talked about, Jesus talks about love 12 times, Right? Do you know after chapter 12? 44 times. In this intimate day, 44 times. And we'll talk about that next week. But here we pause for just a moment to look at one of the saddest stories in Jesus' ministry. And what is God's heart? Let me just throw this out there right from the start. God's heart is that how many should perish? None. And we see, listen, when we've seen the Son, who have we also seen? The Father, right? So, like, so when we see Jesus' heart here, and this is one of the most compelling part of this text, is that, you know, Tom mentioned this, dug into this last week. Man, he loved them to the end, to the full extent. And you know that, that this was the 12 at this point. Judas' feet were washed. Jesus loved him till the end, right? Jesus loved him. Now, let me ask a question. Did Jesus know that he would betray him? Did, had he known that from the beginning? Like when he was chosen, was that not part of his choosing? We're going to see in the text that yes, yes, yes. And yet, guys, have you, have, have you ever had someone? And listen, when someone betrays you from afar, it, it hurts. But when it's a close friend, when it's an intimate person, when it's a spouse or a child or a parent, that hurts. That hurts. And here's the thing. Jesus knew all that he was going to experience at the hands of the one that would kiss him in the garden. And he loved him till the very end. Are you not comforted by that? But yet, with all that love, with love incarnate, wrapped in skin, in his, in his midst, Emmanuel, three years, he still is the son of destruction. He still, he still wanders out into the night in an eternal sense forever. Guys, how can you be that close and miss it? And you know what? Jesus said these sobering words. He said, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord. Many will say, and I will look at them and say, depart from me for I did not, I didn't know you. Guys, that's, that's a sobering thought. Right? And here's a man that, by all intents and purposes, we're going to look at it in the text. The thing, the challenge as we look in this text this morning is you have to turn off what you already know about Judas. 
Okay, I know that's hard, but what I'm saying is when we, you know, we, we know the end result. We know, we know that he kind of got his hand in the money bag. We know that he betrays Jesus. This is, this is horrific, right? But, but at this moment, nobody knows that but Jesus. Like the other disciples don't even suspect him. That might be news to you. And it's, it's obvious. And yet this was, this was in his heart. It says in, in the text earlier that the enemy had already planted this in his heart, prompted him to betrayal. All right, let's, let's look at the text. So in the passage that Tom preached on last week, these are the two pieces that we have to draw forward. And it says this in verse 2. If you're with me in in John chapter 13, and I hope you are, Bibles in the seat backs or in the chairs in front of you, always please, guys, be a student of the word. That's what disciple is, learner, student. Bring your Bibles, bring a notebook. You know, we we have these faith folders, right? Our hope is, is that you will put your notes and bring these to church and write your notes in them and be a student of the word. Man, if you understand the gravity of God's word, it's it's a tragedy not to be here ready to write down anything and everything the Holy Spirit would give you uniquely and personally. Be a student. Be hungry for his word. So bring your Bibles. That's all to say. Bring your Bibles. All right, number verse 2 here. So during the supper, this is from last week's text, during the supper. So this is during the Seder meal. Like that's important that we get that. That he washed their feet during the Seder meal. And it says, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, or Simon's son, to betray him. It was already the inclination, the desire that was solicited. Obviously, he solicits our desires, as James tells us. So, you know, let's be clear that Judas is not a victim here. Okay, he he is... He is culpable. And so it says that the devil had already put it into his heart. He had already put this, betra- this scheme, this betrayal into his heart. Fast forward with me to chapter uh, 13, verses 10 through 11, and it goes on to say this. Jesus said to him, the one who has, and, he's, and him is Peter here. Uh, Peter, you know, said, listen, then if that's the case, wash everything. You know, wash my head, my hands, the whole deal. And, uh, and then Jesus basically retorts him with this and he says the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but listen to what he says here but not every one of you for he knew he knew that's as tom pointed out that's all knowing that's god knowing that's omniscience he knew who was to betray him that was why he said not all of you are clean Guys, I cannot get over the fact that he knew this. He, Listen, Jesus was not immune to feelings, right? He was clothed in skin, 100% man, 100% God. And he hurt. Like in, in the last week, we've seen him cry twice over the implications of sin and over the, 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 the rejection of Israel, right? We know that he, he hurt. And here he is with the feelings that we feel under the subjection of the Holy Spirit, under the control of the Father. And he feels all of this. And yet he loves this guy to the full extent, to the very end. We pick up in verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen now, when he says, I'm not speaking of all of you, he's, he's already talked about this betrayal piece. And he's, he's basically saying, I'm not saying that you're all going to betray me. But I know who I'm, I, I have chosen. Judas has been chosen. But the scriptures, I love this, will be fulfilled. <laughs> For I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? Will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And... I am telling you this now before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may what? Believe that I am he, right? Isn't that the the whole purpose of the gospel of John? 
Everything he does is that you might believe that he's the son. And in believing, verse 31 of chapter 20, that you may have eternal life, right? Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, the father. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. I just talked about this. His feelings, like he's, he's moved. Like this is not just some superficial emotion. And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. They didn't, they didn't conclude, oh, that's got to be Judas. <laughs> of course it's Judas. In fact, we're going to see that they don't even put him on the list. Number 23, verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, just a way that the author, John, the, the disciple, refers to himself in the text, whom Jesus loved was reclining at table close to Jesus. Are we surprised that that's where John is? Is it any surprise that the one whom Jesus loved is nestled under his arm, close to his heart, later on going to kind of lean up against his chest? Verse 44, so Peter, so Simon Peter motioned to him, being John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered. Another translation says possessed, entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. There's no time for John to even respond here. It's like, I mean, can you imagine John? Like, oh my God. Like, what's going on? Listen to what 28 says. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. No one. No one's got him on the short list of the offender, right? Verse 29, some thought that because Judas had the Money bag, let's, let's draw this conclusion. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, the feast of unleavened bread, the rest of the Passover, and that he should give something, to, or that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30, one of the saddest verses. So that after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And trust me, that is, that is not just a physical night. A dark shadow now fell across the scene as Jesus dealt with Judas, the traitor. Judas was not a true believer. He was a hypocrite. He had never believed in Jesus. You're probably saying, I don't know about that. Let's see what the scripture says. John chapter 6. So after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus crosses the lake, comes down from the mountain, walks on water, you know, crosses the lake with his disciples. Immediately he's in... You know, and then they come around. They say, "Where do you know? Where were you?" He says, "Look, you just want your bellies filled. They want to make him king, right?" Jesus says, "You got to eat my flesh, drink my blood." They're like, "What? This guy's, you know, this is crazy. We're out of here." And then he turns and talks to his disciples, and this is what he says: "But there are some of you who do not believe." This is John six sixty four to seventy one. But there are some of you who do not believe, and then we have the benefit of John's commentary. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, speaking to the, of the 12, and who it was who would betray him. When did he know this? Mm. Verse 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back. Now we're not talking about the 12. And no longer, no longer uh, walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them. Listen to what it says here. Did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. 
he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Guys, this is early in the ministry. And so Jesus is not like, you know, coming to these understandings along the way. He is fully aware of why when he climbed the mountain that night and and spent the whole night in prayer asking the father, which one of these disciples are the ones I'm meant to pour into? The father intimately gave him 12. And I believe in that moment gave him, he, he knew their hearts. He knew all about them. And Judas was chosen not because he wasn't forced or made, because God knows our end from our beginning. And he saw it all and said, unfortunately, he will be that instrument. That's a sad reality. So verse 18 says, I am not speaking of all of you, telling the disciples that you're not all going to betray me, but I know whom I have chosen, speaking of Judas. But the scripture uh, will be, I love that, will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'll get to that in just a minute. But interestingly enough, listen listen to what John 17, this is in the high priestly prayer. John 17, four or five chapters later, verse 12 says, while I was with them, now he's talking in prayer to the father. He says, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of what? Destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. My question is, how close a person can come to salvation and yet be lost forever? And I mean, like, he walked with him. He heard the word of God come out of a human mouth. He, he touched him. He was, as John talked about, he was an eyewitness. Guys, you can be that close and miss eternity in his presence. If we don't believe that he is, and look, we're, we're desperate for the help of the Holy Spirit. Desperate for the help of the scriptures. You know, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. We need to dig into the word. If, if you, if you want to like the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith. If, that's, if you're like the father uh, of, the, of the boy that was demonically possessed and then delivered, and he says, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like if that's you, dive into the scriptures because the Bible actually says that's where faith comes from. That, that, that if we, like Billy Graham did at one point in his ministry, he said, you know what, I'm done. Whatever the scripture says, that's law for me. That's truth for me. That's my now reality. And he says, from that point forward, it lit up. I wasn't questioning the word of God. I wasn't, now listen, I'm not saying we check our brains in at the door. That's not what I'm saying. But that we conclude that this is truth and maybe I'm the one that doesn't get it. And so, except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. He was chosen for this. He could be that close to life, hope, joy, peace himself and yet be lost forever, the scripture tells us. At that hour, Jesus had a common concern. Now listen, this is his great concern at this moment, okay? He's, he's, on, the, he's on the eve, the precipice of his, of his demise, yet his glorification, all of that, he knows it all. He knows what's coming, and yet all, what is he concerned about? That God's word might be fulfilled. Guys, what about you? What about you? What about me? Like, no matter what life's circumstances are right now, like, can it be more dire than what Jesus was going through? And yet his hope and his, his passion and ambition was that God's word would be fulfilled. So I, I go back to verse 18 for this reason, the latter part of it. Listen to what it says. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture, I love that it says, will be fulfilled. Listen, the word of God does not return. Right? Look, like it, it always, always, right? It always accomplishes the purpose for which it is. Like, don't you want to be on that side of the equation? Hello? Are you with me? Like, listen, if my word can return void, <laughs> right? I want to be standing, living, walking in a word that will never return void. And that doesn't mean present circumstances aren't going to be hard. 
But God's word endures into eternity. We can stand on it. It endures. It, it proves itself faithful through time. And it's like a seed. We must realize that it takes time for seed to be fruit. But he says, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. So two cool things. This is some of the coolest things that came out of this for me. So first thing I asked was, um, and I hope you ask questions of the scriptures because, and then you ask those questions to the Holy Spirit. He's the author. He's got the answers, right? And he's promised to give them to him if we ask, right? So I asked the question, what does it mean? What is the saying lifted up his heel against me? Well, this goes all the way back to David, King David's day. So it's easy. Have you ever noticed that some things get lost in translation? Okay, I'll give you an example. I shared this uh, with a Bible study recently. Um, you ever heard this saying that um, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? Well, what the person that said that actually meant was there's an Indian tribe called the creek, right? And he was saying, I'll be there, Lord willing, and the creek, the Indian tribe, doesn't rise up. We think that's water today, and we just, just say it. Listen, when we go back to this, you know what this was saying? This is about... This is basically an unruly horse. This is, this is a horse or a mule that you have fed and nurtured and cared for and raised up and then at some point just randomly kicks you in the teeth. That's the, that, 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 that's the illustration. And then I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I like little illustrations and finding, like one time I took a group to, to, um, to England doing a John Wesley tour. We went to, um, we went to Shakespeare's house and uh, we're in Shakespeare's house walking around and the guy, the curator's walking with us and telling us things. And I just love these little things. And, and he says, do you know why we call this a threshold? And I'm looking because they, they, it was authentic to that time. They used the threshing to, 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 for the floor. So then when, they, when they threshed the wheat, they would throw the, the, all of that on the floor so they weren't on dirt and it would hold the threshing, threshold. Okay, so like, but that's so cool to me, like stuff like that. So it's an unruly horse. It's, it's someone that you have cared for, taken care of, that's been intimate to you, right? And then they kick you in the teeth after you fed them. Okay, and so listen, this, this verse, this, he talks about this being fulfilling a prophecy. What prophecy? Well, if you go to Psalms verse 41 or chapter 41, verse 9, listen to what it says. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. This is King David. Do you know what he's talking about? So he had a, he had, a, you remember Absalom, his son? He, he betrays him, right? And he, and he seeks his throne. Well, he had a trusted advisor. And I had to write it down because I can't even pronounce it. His name is... Uh, Othophel, Othophel, right? You scholars out there, you know, John, others, you guys could probably say that perfectly, but Othophel, right? So he's the counselor of David who turned traitor and joined Absalom's rebellion. If you want to read about that, that's 2 Samuel uh, chapter 15 through 17. But it is significant that, that, and this is the thing that came out of this, right? So look at that story, get back to that. And and David, I mean, this Psalm, if you read the Psalm, his heart is like, devastated that this trusted counselor, someone that, that ate at his table, right, kicked him in the teeth, right? And literally, you know, when, when his son turns his back at him, seeks his throne, he sides with him. That, that's painful. But you know what the craziest thing that I discovered as I went through this is he committed suicide too. Isn't that interesting? They both committed suicide. God didn't orchestrate that, but he knew it, right? And listen, man, that is, listen, what it does for me is this. God's word is amazing. Like it's amazing. Like it complements itself to perfection, right? Like, I mean, you can, you can, you can bank on it. You can live in it. It, it, it never, ever contradicts itself. I mean, 40 men over 1500 years wrote this glorious book. Right? It's just a, it's phenomenal. That, and these things just keep coming out. So, 
Don't miss this. However, Judas did not commit suicide in order to fulfill biblical prophecy. That was not his aim. For what? For that would make God the author of his sin. Judas was responsible for his own decisions, and those decisions fulfilled God's word. God knows. God knows. Verse 19, I am telling you this now, Jesus says, before it takes place. So now he's just talked about prophecy fulfilled that's coming with with Judas, right? For us, it's already done, right? But for them, it's yet to be realized. And here he is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you that this is going to go down. Like Judas, Judas hasn't, Judas hasn't walked out the door yet. And, and, and Jesus is like, this, this is going to go down. And I want you to know that I know why that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Only God is omniscient. Only God knows the human heart to that degree. And he's basically saying so that you will know that I am God in the flesh. And isn't that the reason he did all the signs, signposts, right? It's to point to his deity and to point to his rescue mission and to, to point to the hope that is only found in Christ. Jesus was concerned that Judas's treachery would weaken his disciples' faith. This is why he related it to the scriptures. When the disciples saw all that was fulfilled, it would make their faith stronger. Let me give an example. I said it earlier. When Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles... Anybody have troubles in this world? Does that not kind of tell you that maybe Jesus was onto something? You know, that you're going to be sent out like sheep among wolves, right? But then he, we're also told by Paul that we're more than conquerors in him. Like, I'm not a conqueror, but in Christ, he is conquered, and I'm in Christ, right? So like, it's, it's an awesome thing that Jesus is in this loving, protective mode to say that even, even though I'm going to tell you something that's going to be horrific for the group and and it's it has potential to be discouraging i'm going to tell you this so that when when it's when it goes down you might believe that i am god i love that then he goes on to say truly truly i say to you whoever receives the one i send receives me now he's talking about to the uh, to the 11 right he's talking to these guys and he says whoever receives me receives the one who sent me so what the connotation of this is an ambassador Okay, so if an ambassador goes to a foreign country and he is he is rejected, he is not only rejected, but his country and his king is rejected. Does that make sense? Right? But if the ambassador is embraced, it's an embracing of the one that sent him and that he's loved. And so he's basically talking about what Paul gets to in 2 Corinthians 5 about that. Listen to what he says to us. So God was, he was God's son and sent by God the Father. They mentioned who they were, were Christ's chosen representatives or ambassadors. To receive them would be the same as receiving the Father and the Son. What a privilege to be an ambassador of the King. This is just another nuance of who we are, like what Christ has purchased us to and from. So listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says. Therefore, uh, we are ambassadors of Christ or for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We get to go and be the, the, the herald of the gospel to the world. Do we see that? And we are literally commissioned as being, Jesus is saying that if they accept you, they accept me. If they reject you, they reject me. If you're, because, you, because this is the deal, we're in him, right? You have, you have Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? Right? So if they reject you, they reject me. Because we see that elsewhere in the scripture. But here he says, if they accept you, they've accepted me. And so, man, we, we need to, like, is, is that not just a qualifier for us to even know and understand kind of a person's heart? Let's just make sure that we're always lovingly speaking the truth, that we're always sharing the gospel in, in very relational ways. That's a witness to the world of those that we love. And he loves. So a couple of thoughts. The remarkable thing is that the others at the table with Jesus did not know that Judas was the unbeliever or a traitor. Up to the very hour of his treachery, Judas, and this is so awesome, just thoughts as I've gone through the text. Judas was protected by the Savior whom he would betray. 
Jesus is protecting him from like, look, let's fast forward just a moment. Peter finds out, like we already know prior to this moment that they have two swords. Jesus is saying, get two swords. They get two, we got two, he says, that's enough, right? So like they've got swords, right? And, you know, before you didn't have to take this stuff. Now you need, in other words, he's just preparing them for spiritual battle. Like that's what he's talking about. They get it kind of mixed up. So then we get in the garden. Peter is there and he finds out that someone is going to take Jesus and it's a whole brood of folks. And he pulls out one of these swords and takes Malchus's ear off, right? So we know what Peter's response would be, right? And Jesus, in this moment, it's, it's so beautiful. He's actually protecting his betrayer. He's, he's literally telling this quickly and saying, go. And he's protecting the, the hearts and the harmony of, the, of, the, of, of, his, of his intimate group. I marvel at this glorious God. I think like the one that Jesus said to us in the Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemies. You know, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And then he does it. He lives out his word. He, he models it for us, not only on the cross, but right here, he loves Judas to the very end. He protects him when he knows his agenda. Jesus was protected by the Savior whom he would betray. (laughs) Had Jesus openly revealed what he knew about Jesus, it is likely that the men would have turned on him. I discussed Peter. The very beginning, from the very beginning, Jesus knew what Judas would do. I read that for us earlier in in John 6.64. But Jesus did not force him to do it. Judas was exposed to the same spiritual privileges as the other disciples. Yet, they did him no good. The same, I heard Charles say this a few weeks ago in Bible study. The same sun that melts the ice only hardens the clay. In spite of all that our Lord said about money and all of his warnings about covetousness, Judas continued to be a thief and steal from the treasury. In spite of all the Lord's warnings about unbelief, Judas persisted in his rejection. Jesus even washed his feet, yet his hard heart did not yield. So look, I want to make this personal for us this morning. I'm going to ask you some questions. What about you? Are you sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and quick to obey his word? Because that's, when we go back, that's, that's the issue. Like, he, he ignored the teachings of Christ. He, he rejected the truth himself. And for us today, like when God's word is spoken, man, look, let me tell you, it's not a suggestion. These, these are, my command is this, that you love one another. And then he put this on it, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. Guys, that's going to require sacrifice. That's going to be painful. Let me just tell you. Jesus modeled all of that. He says, you know, you know what he says? He says, bless those who curse you. And that's not a verbal curse. And that's not a verbal bless. It, it, those are actions. We are called to bless those who curse us. Bless them. So what about, are you sensitive to conviction of the Holy Spirit? Are you quick to obey his word? Because look, if his word does not return void and God knows, like, do you think he goes, I'm not sure about this, but could you do this? Are you with me? Like, I mean, you think God is kind of like questioning what he's asking of us? No, God, when God asks us to do something, does he not have like, does he not have it all in mind? In perfection? So why do we doubt his word? Why do we get in? And look, man, it's easy to do his word, right? I tell wives sometimes, listen, if you agree with your husband and he asks you to do something, that's not submission. Submission is when you are asked to do something that you don't agree with and you do it, right? And the same thing is true of our our bridegroom. When Jesus asks me as the bride, you know, my my response in submission should be, yes, Lord. And it, it has, the qualifier isn't whether it works into my schedule or it feels good, or, man, you know, that won't be too expensive. Right? But, but Judas ignored all of these profound teachings, 
and then faced the consequences and then died over it. Eternally, by the way. Another question. Are you persisting in unbelief? Are you persisting in unbelief? When it comes to what God's word says and who he is and what he calls us to and and the life that we're called to live, are you persisting in unbelief? You know the beckoning, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He is relentless in the pursuit of our holiness. And finally, are you hard hearted when it comes to forgiveness or loving the things of this world or belief? Are you hard-hearted to those things? Guys, this is dangerous stuff. God is is calling you out of your selfishness, your brokenness, your pride. He's calling you to a posture of humility and submission and grace and forgiveness. We don't don't get to decide what we're going to... It's not a cut-and-paste Bible. We don't get to decide what works for us. He gets to call the shots. That's what lordship means. And because we have the, 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 the living proof of someone that chose to try to manipulate his messiahship to do what he wanted or totally missed and chose not to believe, we see the consequence. We don't have any excuses. Jesus had spoken before about a traitor, as I read earlier, but the disciples did not take it to heart. And when, now when he spoke openly at the table, his disciples were perplexed, perplexed. Listen to what goes on to say in the passage. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. God feels this. You know, God, you know, I think this, let me give the antonym because I like positive things. So the antonym is this, A, a centurion comes to him and he says, look, I don't even have to be there. I mean, I'm a man of, has authority. You're, you're a man that has great authority. Just say the word. And what does he say? I've seen no greater faith in all of Israel. Right? It says that he was astounded. Right? Like, so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? We must believe he exists. Like this, this is, uh, so the antonym, like the antonym to that is when we, when we walk in unbelief and we see the consequences in the Sinai, you cannot enter the promised land. And that was the, that's what happened with Judas. Guys, that should break, it breaks the heart of God. I just want you to know that when I read this and it says Jesus was troubled in his spirit, listen, I think it's very specific to Judas's plight and and Judas's destiny. It, It breaks God's heart. But he's righteous and he's holy. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That kind of tells us what he's thinking about. The disciples looked around at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. <laughs> Guys, we'd have put him first on the list because of what we know. But when, when it's around the room, they're thinking he's a model disciple. He, he, you know, like they're not, they're not putting him on the short list. They're not, they're not gravitating to, oh, it's got to be Judas. They... In fact, in another, and I'll read it in just a minute, in Luke 22, they're all basically going, is it me? Is it I? You know, or, or who is it? Like they, they're, they're into this discussion, right? It says, look around at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, John, was reclining at the table with Jesus. So, so Simon Peter motioned to him and asked Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus, beautiful, intimate moment, said to, to him, Lord, who is it? This is a quiet whisper. This is, a, this is a sweet moment. And, and, and the only thing I want to point out, and there's so much in this text, but the only thing I want to point out is, is, man, listen, when we're abiding in Christ, when we're living in this intimate relationship with Jesus, he says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you greater and unsearchable things that you do not know. Like he, he says in John 15, he says, I no long, longer call you servants, but friends. Like I'm going to share the Father's business with you. Right? So like, here it is, and Jesus is sharing the Father's business because John leaned in, drew near, and he asked. Guys, are you doing that? Are you leaning in? Are you drawing near? Are you asking? Are you asking in this intimate belief that this is the one who loves me? 
Do you have an accurate picture of who this Jesus is that you're asking that went to a cross and died in your stead? That he did that for you. And and the scripture tells us this, that if he did that, where's he going to hold out? Like now that you're his sons, like now that you're yoked together intimately, man, know these things. That That disciple, John, leaned back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Peter signaled to John, who was the closest to Jesus. And that was not by coincidence. John would always posture. You could see it. He was almost like the the male version of Mary. He's always, he's at Jesus's side. He's at his feet. He's the only one at the cross. I'm not saying that he believed in the resurrection because he wasn't at the tomb, but like he was there. He was at the cross, you know, forsaking the consequences. And and it says, and, and he leans close to Jesus at the table and asked him to find out who the traitor was. The Lord's reply to John was certainly not heard by all the men. In fact, they were carrying on a discussion among themselves about who the traitor might be at this moment. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse 23, it says, and they began to question one another, <laughs> which of them it could be who was going to do this. I mean, <laughs> Wow. Like, is it you? Did you, are you going to do, like, I mean, there, there's almost accusations flying here, you know, but it doesn't seem that Judas is on the list. The scene continues. Jesus answered, it is he to whom, and this is being whispered back to John, I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. No other gospel account even speaks of this. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, I looked this up, put no credence in this whatsoever. I'm just saying that right from here, right? But countless times I would look in this up, this, I want to go, who's, who's, why Iscariot? Like, is that just to distinguish him from the other Simon? But why tell us that Simon is his father's name? What is this? Do you know what many, many people said? And I got to research this. I didn't have time to do it. Is that this Simon was the Pharisee Simon that had the, party at his house that his dad was a pharisee and they go into all these details about why this and and that links him to the pharisees and to affluence i i I don't put a lot of credibility in that but that's just interesting thought um because all these people came from somewhere and had an orientation of some kind but it's interesting to me that jesus dips the bread in this sauce and I looked at that. I'm not going to get into all that, but this fig, you know, this sauce that's part of the Seder meal. And he hands it to Judas. Now, to do that, that means Judas is actually seated. And you have to know the Seder principles to know this. He is seated in the position of honor. Jesus put him in the honor seat. Guys, he loved them to the very end. Like, who, who does that? Who puts their betrayer in the seat of honor? Right? I mean, is it close proximity so I get the, you know, so fulfilled in the scriptures? Maybe. But look, he then hands him this piece of bread. And everyone knows what that means. In any Seder meal, if you hand, if you go go and take a piece of bread and, and take some of the sauce and hand it to someone, you are basically expressing honor and friendship. Jesus does, like, and think about how, like, how, what an answer, you know, what, what, what a, what a duplicity here because like Jesus does this act of friendship to him to initiate his betrayal and then what does he do in the garden? But he kisses him like a friend. I mean, talk about just, I mean, I'm talking about betrayal to its nth, like so, so that Jesus could say, yeah, you were never more betrayed than I was. I was thoroughly betrayed, right? And so it's just, that's just powerful. And then after he had taken the morsel, listen to what it says here. Satan entered. Another translation says, possessed him. Now look, what, how did that happen? I mean, don't, like, let me first give this caveat. If you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, this can't happen. Okay, just want to give that, get that out of the way. Okay, you are, you are sealed. Um, Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. Let me just be clear about that, okay? So, but here's the thing. Prior to that, that you know, when, when a demon's cast out, he says, be careful, that's seven more, you know? So here, it's earlier, I read it to you in the earlier of the text. It said, in, is it verse 2 or verse 10 to 10, 10, 10, 11? It says that he had planted it in his heart, right? He had put the seed, the thought, the concept. And listen, he, he is soliciting the desires that are already there in Judas, 
And he's just planting it. Now listen, what does Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4, all talk about a parable called the parable of the sower and the seed. And in that parable, it talks about the heart being the soil and the seed being God's word. And this, this, and he is the great counterfeiter, right? He is, he is trying to plant deception and, and destruction in the heart of Judas, and he is in for it. It's a foothold that becomes a chasm for him to step into, talking about the enemy. Guys, here's, here's the danger. If you don't know Jesus, <laughs> that's a scary thing to not be sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not, I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm not, there's no scare, t- scare tactics here. I'm just telling you the truth. The fact is that you are susceptible because you have evil desires and the enemy knows how to solicit that to you uniquely and personally. And he will, he will try to use you for demonic purposes. And if he gets a foothold in your life and you yield and submit to that, he can enter in. That's, that's, that is, I mean, that's what the scripture declares here. And, and listen, we, as those that have been purchased and sealed and, man, we got to get out there and the gravity of this is, is, is massive. And God's heart is that none should perish. So, um, where was I? Okay. So let me, let me share this. Um, spoke truly. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, John was no doubt stunned by this revelation. But before he could say anything or do anything, Jesus had sent Judas on his way. Even though Satan had entered Judas, it was Jesus who was in charge here. He's the one that's directing things. Jesus lived on the timetable given to him by our Father, and he wanted to fulfill what was written in the Word. And so as this passage concludes, listen to what it says. Now, no one at the table knew why he, was, why he said this to him. Some thought that Judas was had the money bag and Jesus was telling him to go buy food for the festival or the feast um, or that he should give something to the poor, which he, back in chapter 12, you know, hypocritically said he cared about, right? So since Judas was the treasurer, it was logical for the disciples to conclude that he was being sent on a special mission by the Lord. Judas was, was hypocritically expressing interest in the poor earlier, so they thought, they might have thought, perhaps he was on an errand of mercy or uh, to help the poor. So, so again, they're not concluding that Judas is this betrayer. Keep in mind that Judas knew that he was, that he was doing, knew what he was doing, and that he did it deliberately. He had already met with the Jewish religious leaders and agreed to lead them to Jesus in such a way that there would be, there would not be any public disturbance. And so, I'm going to jump through, Colette. I'm going to jump through this. Luke uh, uh, 22 passage. But in Luke 22, verses 1 through 6, Luke is the complementary passage in chapter 22 to this whole encounter. And listen to what it says here. Um, I'll I'll do verse 4 after, well, verse 3. Sorry, Colette. Then Satan entered into Judas uh, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. See, Judas heard things along the way. He heard Jesus say this, Matthew 26, 24, he says, the son of man goes as it is written of him, just the way the scriptures foretell it. But woe to the man of whom the son of man is betrayed. This is before he betrays him. He's already giving this this warning and Judas is in, the, is, in, is in the audience. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. What a statement. If he had not been born. Yet he persists in his unbelief and treachery. Because here's the last verse. The last verse says this. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. So speaking of Judas. Immediately he leaves the room. And it was night. And as I mentioned earlier, betrayal under the cover of darkness. Let me, let me just share these final thoughts as I really zero in on what I believe the Lord is teaching us in this. This carries a tremendous impact when you remember, speaking about going out at night, when you remember that light and darkness are an important spiritual imagery in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the light of the world. We see that in John chapter 1, John chapter 8. But Judas rejected Jesus and went out into the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And for Judas, 
It is still night. It is still night. These warnings went unheard by Judas, and it goes unheard by many today, people who will go where Judas went unless they repent and trust in Jesus. The instant Judas was gone, the atmosphere cleared, and Jesus began to instruct his disciples and to prepare them for the crucifixion and his ultimate return to heaven. It was after Judas's departure that he instructed, or excuse me, instituted the Lord's Supper, something that Judas as an unbeliever certainly could not share. Judas was out in the night, manipulated by the prince of darkness, Satan himself. But Jesus was the light, sharing love and truth with his beloved disciples. What a contrast. And this is what I want you to think about as we close our time together. These are just my closing thoughts. Jesus took, excuse me, Judas took the bread in what looked like a gesture of fellowship and friendship and love between himself and Jesus. Apparently, none of the other disciples knew of his thoughts of betrayal. Judas was completely concealed in his hypocrisy from his peers, yet Jesus knew his heart. If we try to conceal our hypocrisy, profess to live for Christ but not having real commitment, we may succeed in fooling our friends and family. Charles says you can fool the pastor, but you can't fool the master. But Christ knows each person's real thoughts and desires. People may be convinced by our external sham, but God searches our hearts. Judas's life teaches us that hypocrisy can lead to satanic manipulation. Judas's betrayal should strengthen our resolve to follow Christ no matter what temptation or opposition that we encounter. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.